This episode of the Ready Room is brought to you by Audible.com, offering the largest selection of audiobooks for your smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com/trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter. Visit enterpriseinspace.org for more information. And if you'd like to help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day, consider becoming a patron of the network through Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm and find out how you can become part of the team. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. I'm Jeff Combs. I'm everywhere on Star Trek, and you keep tuning in to Trek FM. Welcome to the Ready Room, show number 164. I'm anxious to see your tactical array. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me this week is Daniel Prue. We'll be talking about some Star Trek news, including how Wesley Crusher's amazing Technicolor sweater can keep you warm this winter, the senior officer post fans most want to fill, and how you can design an actual enterprise that will orbit the Earth. Then in the feature, we're joined by Matthew Rushing to discuss the Enterprise episode, Cogenitor. So let's step into the Ready Room. Hello, Daniel. Welcome back to the Ready Room. It's great to have you here with me once again to co-host today. Hey, Chris, thanks for having me. You know, I've I've been a listener and a fan of the Ready Room even before I was on the network. And I, I've just got to say, after listening for these past couple months and this intense rivalry that has been developing between <laughs> Char and uh, and Matthew, I, I just wanted to come on and as a fellow co-host, plead with them that can't we just all get along? <laughs> you got to come in as like a mediator, right? Guys? Yeah. Like, Co-hosting is not a contest, Matthew and Char. It's not a contest. <laughs> we can, we all can share this space equally. Well, it's good to have you here. And also because you are a next generation guy, I think you're the perfect person to talk about the first story that we have in use today with me. And that is the fact that Think Geek has finally done what we all thought no one would ever do, but we all secretly wish they would. They have released the Wesley Crusher Technicolor tunic as a hoodie. Finally, is the is the operative word there. I I could not be more excited about this, and uh, I have not ordered mine yet, but I have every intention of getting this sweatshirt and wearing it proudly out and about. Uh, you know, here where I live. <laughs> it, it's funny. I was thinking, like, would I actually wear this around? I like the fact that they've made it an actual hoodie. So it's not like a cosplay uniform where you would need to wear it to a convention or something. It's just a hoodie that you can throw on and wear out in the winter. So it's the perfect time of season for this. I noticed in our listener discussion group, the Babel Conference, some people suggested that I need this. And I told them that if I had this on, I know I could edit audio five times faster. (laughs) And not only that, uh, but... Possibly you could attract um, a young a young Ensign Leffler as well, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that makes it all worth it. I mean, but but, but at the time that he met her, I'm trying to remember no, for sure. No, I, th- I think he, he was, had, 
in the gray. The, the, he the was solid in the gray, gray, right? He had already let this go, which raises the question: If Leffler had seen him wearing this, do you think she would have gone out with him? You know, well, if he was wearing this hoodie, I would say absolutely, because I actually think this hoodie is kind of classy. Uh, I <laughs> I love it. I think this is perfect. I think it's great. Um, his uniform is kind of silly, and and this. In the same way, this hoodie is kind of silly as well, but I feel like it is. It's, you know, it's just something that you can wear out. And first of all, most people aren't going to get it. And then the people that right. do get it are probably going to get a kick out of it. And so, you know, it's it's going to be a good time either way, I think. You know, also, because you would be wearing this in the winter, some people might think that you were a member of the Lithuanian curling team. <laughs> Perhaps, I suppose. <laughs> it's got their flag colors in it. I'll, 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 I'll take your word for it. <laughs> so this is at Think Geek. It's fifty nine ninety nine. But what I think is even more interesting, Daniel, is to think about what other unusual outfits, one-off outfits or off-duty outfits from Star Trek that we would like to have, that we would like people to make, that people probably never will make? Which is a great question. And I, there are so many ideas swimming in my head, but one of the first things that comes into my mind is um, the nightwear that we all occasionally see uh, on, on Star Trek. For instance, in, in The Next Generation, when we see Picard and his little nighty. Or even in Janeway when she's got her pink little nighty on as well. Like that would, <laughs> why isn't Think Geek on this? Is this like a, well, now I'm thinking this is like a Victoria's Secret Star Trek crossover. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> I don't know. They would have to come up with some clever pun that I can't come up with off the top of my head, but some sexy thing of Star Trek. So before we get too far away from the Wesley thing here, Daniel, one thing that we were talking about on the other side of the room. The other side of the room. And now that you bring up undergarments like this, is that I think that Fruit of the Loom should get a license from CBS to do the Wesley Crusher tricolored underpants, where the waistband has the three division colors. <laughs> that would be amazing. It makes it makes me happy to think that Wesley Crusher had matching underwear to his silly rainbow <laughs> uniform. <laughs> it makes it puts a smile on my face. Also, I think they could do a line from Enterprise, the Starfleet blue undies oh, sure. that we see throughout the series. I mean, that's a natural thing that they could make and it'd be really easy. Yeah, yeah, that would. Yeah, there's a whole we could do even like the the sexy uh, uh, Riker with, you know, one breast exposed from uh, <laughs> I can't like think from of, Angel One. Angel One. Thank you. I can think of it. <laughs> Uh, that could be something Think Geek could do. Why not? Well, or does that, does that ship with some with a pack of prosthetic chest hair that you can put on just for the authentic look? A chest rug, basically? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I would hope so, certainly. Another one I can think of because Think Geek is doing the Wesley Crusher one is I think that we need Think Geek to do the Jake Sisko bus seat cover tunic. <laughs> okay. Oh man, I mean to fo what do you follow up with Wesley Crusher? Yeah, Jake Sisko. That makes a lot of sense. I think uh I think you're onto something there. That would be I don't know. Um where we've already seen here in the Babel conference that this uniform is kind of already splitting the fan base. I I don't know how many people would land on the Jake side of <laughs> of the outfits. I don't know. It'd be pretty wild. Oh, I have another idea because winter is coming up. 
everyone wants to have a nice sweater, right? How about a line of sweaters that are modeled after Neelix's outfits on Voyager? <laughs> uh, yeah, we're really pushing it now. I think. <laughs> like, it, it, I just, I just, you know, there's, t- you know, Quark. I, you know, Neelix is, I feel like his fashion is kind of an extension of Quark's fashion, but like taken to the yeah, nth maybe. degree. And yeah. whereas Quark kind of has, in a crazy, spacey, 90s kind of way, kind of has a, a, a good, it's like sophistication about his clothes. Uh, Neelix is just like, he just throws random things together and just wears whatever. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It would be interesting, I suppose. I think Neelix was modeled after many of us men who without our wives to actually coordinate our clothing so that it looks nice, we would run out with just completely mismatched everything on and think <laughs> it's just fine. Yeah, and well, and that's true, right? And Kess was too young to know any better, so she couldn't tell him, hey, this looks ridiculous, you shouldn't wear this out, especially if you have your own show. <laughs> that's right, because he's a space podcaster, as we <laughs> talked about last week here on The Ready Room. Uh, what- his own shows. One other uh, thing I was thinking of uh, that Think Geek could do is basically if you make this Wesley Crusher jacket a little poofier um, and all solid gray, you and just stuff some, you know, shoulder pads in there. There you are. You got a Romulan jacket right there for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that would work pretty well. I could see that. That could actually be a line that maybe Nike could pick up on that for the way they're they're modding every college football team's uniforms these days, because I can see the big shoulder pads there. I think that some team should rename themselves the Romulans or the Tal Shiar. <laughs> that would, that would be, well, I mean, you are the, you know, college sports ball. Like what would, where, is there like a, I don't even know, like, is there like a Spartan team somewhere that we could rename to Romulans? Maybe that's kind of oh, close. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Michigan State. Michi- the Michigan State Tal Shiar. There we go. <laughs> that might work. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that, that, that would work pretty well. So, I was thinking of some other things that we see from time to time. You know, there are things like, what about the Traveler? Maybe you could have his outfit. Maybe when Troy and Beverly go and they do all their stretches, they've got their exercise outfits. Mm. Or... Do you think anyone would buy this? Go back to Charlie X. You know the outfit that Kirk wears when he teaches Charlie how to wrestle? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I do. Uh, I certainly hope nobody would buy that. But, but, <laughs> but you know, to each their own. Maybe that's, that's a thing. I don't know. I could see it right now on StarTrek.com. The Kirk Speedos. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing I was thinking of, too, when we were, we were talking about, uh, kind of got away from it a little bit, but nighttime sleeping kind of... Uh, attire think geek could come out with a motion picture uniform oh yeah footy pajamas (laughs) so you could you know you could sleep in that uniform because it's uh, it would just be for adults obviously but maybe maybe that's something they could do plus the belt buckle could have a built-in alarm clock (laughs) so it could be just like a a phone holder (laughs) you can just right well it's pajamas that you put on and they wake you up yeah wow that's you know what? I don't even think Geek should do this, Chris. I think we have a brilliant idea here. <laughs> oh, the new Trekka film line of clothing? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's got to be slightly different so not, you know, we don't break any copyright rules here, but I think we could right. do it. Well, I, I, you know, I kind of have a feeling that if we created something that looked like the uniforms from the motion picture, 
I kind of think CBS would just pretend like they didn't notice because they don't want to claim ownership of those things either. Yeah, well. We did that? No, that wasn't us. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you should maybe you should watch Star Trek 2 again and see, see what you're talking about. Oh, speaking of Star Trek 2, you've seen probably the pictures that was all over Twitter yesterday from the APEC conference in China. And the uniform, well, they're not uniforms actually, but the clothing that they had all the world leaders dressed in. Japanese News this morning did a whole segment showing those and comparing them to the uniforms in Star Trek. (laughs) And they actually had clips from the Wrath of Khan and the search for Spock. And they were doing them side by side with the leaders lining up at the conference. It was awesome. So we may not have gotten the eugenics wars and World War III in the 90s and all of this stuff. We may not have gotten that, but we're getting closer and closer to Star Trek, at least fashion-wise, every day, it seems like. It seems that way, yes. (laughs) All right. Well, everyone, let us know what clothing from Star Trek you would love to see someone produce. And I have to say for me personally... The stranger, the better, because I want to know, you know, what little thing did you pick up on that you think, you know, I might wear that if someone made it. Join us in the Babel Conference on Facebook, our closed discussion group for listeners. You can just go over there and click join and I'll let you in. Type the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or click discussion on the menu bar on our website. And those will both take you over there. And of course, you can find us on Twitter at Trekafilm. And uh, send us email through trek.fm slash contact, however you want to get in touch with us. However you'd like to get in touch with us, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the clothing here. Daniel, let's go on to the other story that we have today. This is going to be a shorter news segment. This is a StarTrek.com poll, which we love to talk about here on The Ready Room. This one asked, which senior officer position would you want to hold on a starship? And they had more than 17,000 votes. And of course, they gave us the options, right? This isn't a write-in thing. So Chef's not on there, for example. But uh, what were the results, Daniel? Uh, I think unsurprisingly, um, commanding officer, CO comes out on top with 26% of the vote. I don't think that's going to be a surprise to anybody. Everybody no. always wants to be captain, right? Well, Star, Star Trek Online, everyone's a captain. <laughs> if you play the game, you're a captain. You've got your own ship. So naturally, everyone wants to do that. Yep. And then, of course, uh, well, tied actually, tied for second is first officer, which makes sense, right? Uh, as the second, the second in command, and then science officer, both at twenty-two percent, and then trailing behind, uh, right in the middle was chief engineer with eleven percent, and then kind of leading the rest was chief of security with eight, operations manager with seven, and chief medical officer with six with, at the very end there. Which is kind of interesting um, that people chose the, the most. One of the most interesting things about this poll to me is that people chose operations manager at seven percent over chief medical officer. Yeah, yeah. I was surprised by chief medical officer being dead last and having only six percent because if you think about the chief medical officer characters, they're very popular. Of course, Doctor McCoy is extremely popular. Beverly's popular. Dr. Bashir, I think, is, has a great role on DS9. You've got the, the wonderfully sarcastic holographic doctor on Voyager. And then Phlox, who, who was a great character and had this awesome sick bay with animals and plants and everything in it. It seems like those who love science would also be interested in the medical field, and more people would want that. But instead, it seems to slant heavily towards, I suppose, 
uh, astronomy, uh, astrophysics, those areas of science instead of medicine here. Yeah, well, I actually voted in this poll, and I that's what I voted for. I was, uh, you know, probably, well, not probably, definitely because of Spock, very inspired. Um, so I was a science officer all the way. That's what that's what I would like to be, you know, for all of those reasons. It's exciting. And this is kind of part part and parcel of what Star Trek is, is this idea that we go out there and we explore and do all of these things. So that's it's not surprising to me that commanding officer, first first officer and science officer are, are right at the top. I am a little bit surprised at how far behind chief engineer is because, you know, that, that he plays an important role on on most uh, of the shows, uh, you know, I say most because we didn't have one on TNG yeah. for the first oh, season. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, may, maybe only 11% of people enjoy doing barrel rolls. That's certainly and, possible. Or know. maybe they're not good at it and they're concerned they might not be able to get out of engineering in time as the blast door is coming down. I don't know. I do think, you know, chief engineer is sort of a dangerous job, though. You know, I'll, the chief engineers in the shows, they always survive because you can't kill a main character. But in reality on a starship, I think it would be a pretty dangerous job. And a lot of chief engineers would probably be killed in action. This is why I think chief of security is only at 8% because right, yeah. uh, people recognize, well, that does not sound like a fun job under any circumstances. Uh, well, you're they gonna... saw what happened to Tasha. <laughs> exactly, right? She didn't even make it a whole season. And what happens to Worf the entire rest of the series, you know, Mm -hmm. he just gets beat up just to show how tough the bad guys are. Um, And that's not that's certainly not the case, you know, with with either Odo or any of the other security officers, actually, Odo or Tuvok or or Malcolm. They they don't really have that same role that Worf did. But even so, it's a dangerous job. You know, if you come aboard the nx one beating up Malcolm (laughs) is not the most effective way to show how tough you are. Right, right, right. Yeah, he's he's not a very physically intimidating guy, I suppose, but No. So yeah, I, I think the results for me are pretty understandable, except for Chief Medical Officer, which I think would be higher up. And I I guess if I were gonna choose one, I would probably be just like you. I'd probably choose science officer because if I'm out there I want to be doing the interesting stuff. I want to be exploring space. I don't want to be running the ship or negotiating with the enemies all the time. I want to actually be finding out what's out there. So, yeah. You, yeah, and that actually brings up an interesting point too. Um, like people, there are people who chose the first, many people who chose the first officer position over the captain position. And I wonder what their motivation is. Like, uh, you know, we get the sense Really, I mean, Kira is kind of a special kind of case, so I don't. I really probably wouldn't consider her. And even Paul is also kind of a special kind of case as well. But Riker and Chakotay, um, like Riker, definitely enjoys his job. But but why would you want to do that? Like basically, you're just people managing at that point. Uh, why not? If you're going to go for it, why not go for the all the glory? Uh, you know, all the way. I don't know. I feel like someone like Riker and even Chakotay. Because Chakotay has very good people skills too. You know, he's able to talk to the crew in a way that I think Janeway can't. And Riker for sure. Like Riker really likes people. He likes interacting with people. He likes playing poker with everybody. He likes to be in the mix. And if you're captain, you have to be more like Picard, I think, and kind of be 
standoffish and separate yourself from the crew. I think you kind of need to do it in order to do your job, right? It's really hard for you to send people on dangerous missions if you're too close to them in that sense. And and I know Riker sometimes he puts together the away teams and all, but I think it's different when you're a captain. So I think that could be a reason why someone like Riker is hesitant to leave that position and move into a position where he knows that he's going to have to sort of be above the fold more. Yeah. No, I mean, I totally get why, if you were in that position, why it would be a great position to be in. But it's just interesting to think about if you were like fantasizing and you were saying that my ultimate position. Riker fantasizes a lot, Dan. (laughs) He certainly does. That's (laughs) that's a good point. (laughs) So I do have one question for someone who's not here on the show, but hopefully may be listening. Chief of Security, 8%. I'm curious to know if Ashley Victoria Robinson, Ensign Williams from the Red Shirt Diaries, is listening. Does Ensign Williams aspire to become Chief of Security because she she is a security officer? Or does she just really enjoy sort of being there in her quarters and watching what the other security people do so that she can write about it? Yeah, I was I was just going to say I think she would have to leave her quarters in order to become chief of security, right? But <laughs> right, yeah, she would have to leave her quarters. <laughs> I hope she's prepared for that because it's gonna that's gonna you know be part of the job. And being chief of security, you know, I don't know if you would survive. I I don't know if she can make it to the end of the third season as chief of security because again, as you said, it would require leaving her quarters. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and sh- and it's on the original series. She's got that red shirt on, and she's not Scotty, so that's right. The odds are against her. Although, for those who have listened to Continuing Mission Twenty Five with Ashley and Jason, we do find out that Ensign Williams is going to be beaming down to Vasquez Rocks in season two. Excellent. Something something more to look forward to for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, that is all we have in news here for today. There is one other thing that I want to tell everyone about before we head over into the feature, and that is the Project Enterprise in Space. Now, this is something I'm sure you've heard about. Of course, we talk about it at the beginning and the end of many of our shows. It's a project that I'm involved in and Larry Nemechek is involved in, and it's a project to build an eight-foot orbiter called the NSS Enterprise, which will take more than 100 student-designed experiments into space They will orbit the Earth, eventually they will be brought back down, and they will be put on display, and the orbiter will be put into a museum. And the thing that I want to tell you about today is designing the ship, because we have a contest going on where anyone in the public can submit their ideas for what the ship should look like. Now, of course, it can't look like the Enterprise in Star Trek. It can't have a saucer and warp missiles coming off, because that's the property of CBS. But what we are looking for are science fiction-inspired designs for this ship. And you don't have to be an engineer to do this. We have people who have worked with NASA and other places who are going to actually build the ship. We're looking for the aesthetics of the ship. What do you think would make a great design for a ship called Enterprise that would go into orbit? And you can enter the competition by just submitting your designs. Uh, And you don't have to be a great artist to do this either. Of course, if you're a ship designer, it's a wonderful opportunity. If you're an artist, you can do fantastic sketches. But even if you're not, and yet you have an idea for the design, you can sketch that out for us as well. And then it can be fleshed out as we go on. Daniel, if, if I asked you just off the top of your head, I mean, when you think about science fiction in general, what do you think about when you think about a spaceship? What what 
would be a great enterprise design to you? Well, j- kind of just out of absurdity when you had said that you cannot make it exact, you know, with the tuna cells and, yeah. uh, you know, with the saucer section. I was thinking just out of not spite, but uh, irony, maybe. So somebody should send in the Millennium Falcon design and we can name <laughs> name that enterprise just for fun. Uh, no, but, uh, you know, that's the thing. Like, you know, science fiction fans, Star Trek fans, uh, th- these people are intensely creative, amazingly creative people. And I imagine that not only will m- there will be many designs that are submitted that are are very clearly derived from from popular science fiction, but also I'm sure many many original designs as well that are really kind of amazing. So, uh, you know, because we see these fan projects and all of these things all the time that people are, that are inspired in one way or another, they go on and do these incredible creative things. So I'm sure uh, that some of these designs you guys are going to get are, are really going to be amazing. Yeah, I'm really interested to see what all comes in. Uh, let, let me give you a few of the do's and don'ts. There are a bunch of do's and there are two don'ts here. The do's, design a ship that is beautiful. Design a ship that you would like to fly in if it were built in full scale. Design a ship that will inspire students who will have their experiments on board. Design a ship that expresses the spirit of wonder of science fiction as you see it. Design a ship that will be practical with adequate internal volume. Because remember, we're putting experiments inside. And the number of experiments chosen will depend largely on how they fit inside the ship. And it's not going to be like everything's in a box, you know, like they're all the same. Some of the experiments may require very unusual spaces. And then we'll try to put them in uh, so that they fit together and maximize the space. So that's an important one there. Design a ship... No larger than eight feet long, eight feet wide, and six feet tall. Design a ship that expresses the future. And design a ship with bilateral, meaning left-right, symmetry. And the two don'ts are don't design a ship that is too thin or narrow in any location. Because again, we need to put experiments inside the ship. And don't design a ship that looks like any ship from major films or TV series. So there goes your Millennium Falcon idea as well. I tried. I tried. (laughs) And the designs will be judged by expert judges in art and aerospace. I know we have Andrew Probert on the judging panel already. And they're going to be judged based on image quality, mission goals, and attention to detail. So if you have any ideas, please come over and join the contest. It's open to everyone and we want to see your designs. And just go to enterpriseinspace.org. And on the menu bar, you'll see design contest. So click there. There are a number of sections under there that tell you all the rules and all the procedures. And also on the front page of that, there's a video that tells you all about the project itself. And it is, in fact, narrated by some guy whose voice I've heard before, some guy who goes by the name of C. Brian Jones. So go check that out over there, enterpriseinspace.org.
When we see injustices, it's natural for us to want to change them. But when those injustices involve an alien culture, is it really fair for us to impose our human views on others? In Cogenitor, Trip encountered a situation that seemed very wrong to him, but was perfectly normal, accepted, and in fact critical to the Visians. And his actions to right a perceived wrong had devastating consequences. And today we're going to talk about this episode, Cogenitor, and to help us do that, we're joined by my co-host from the Orb and Literary Treks, and now the co-host of the 602 Club, Matthew Rushing. Hey, Matthew. Hey, Chris. How's it going? Do you feel weird being here not co-hosting? You know, you're letting Char get an advantage. You know, um, Daniel just is such a great guy. And, you know, when he he decided that uh, he wanted to co-host, I I figured, you know, I I don't want to fight about this. We're a family and everybody should have a chance. Uh, And I think the listeners have probably had enough of me and maybe even Char for a while. It's time for a different co-host here on the ready room and <laughs> i i'm i'm excited just to hear what daniel's gonna have to say about the news so well also matthew let's be honest you've got a little something going on right now that's maybe a little bit more important than co-hosting the ready room <laughs> well chris uh that is true uh as we record this show i will be getting married next weekend and so i am excited i'm very busy i have a lot going on in my mind so yes, it will be nice uh, to not have to worry about the news because uh, next week I'll be on honeymoon. Teresa, well, congratulations. Well, thank you very much. I do have a question though, Matthew. Yes. Now, when you guys eventually decide to have a baby, is there going to be a cogenitor involved? You know, we haven't really talked about that. Luckily, uh, we are both human and therefore just a two-sex <laughs> species and don't really require so cogenitor. So you are bi-gendered. I mean, we, okay. Yes, we could. Uh, obviously have a surrogate, I guess, but I don't think we're going to go that way. Okay. I don't think that quite counts. That's not how they do it on Visia. <laughs> no, no, All right. it's not. Well, before we get into this discussion, a quick synopsis of the episode, which we always do for everyone. The Enterprise encounters an alien ship as they are doing scientific research on a star And the ship is doing the same research, and of course, they start communicating. And these aliens, the Visians, are very friendly. They decide to come on board. It's a great chance for humans to meet another race. And we have a couple of different, actually, I'm going to cite three in the discussion today, different first contact scenarios going on on the ship between uh, different people on the crew of the Enterprise and different people on the crew of the Visian ship. Archer goes off on a scientific adventure with the captain of that ship while Reed tries to get himself laid. And Tripp gets very concerned about the way that one member of the Visian crew is being treated. That's a cogenitor, a third gender that's involved in the Visian reproductive process and is really treated like a sub-person in that culture, almost like an animal. Tripp is very upset about this, takes it upon himself to teach the cogenitor how to read. And as a result, the cogenitor really wants to explore life on their own, which is forbidden in the Visian culture. And in the end, and again, hopefully you've seen this episode, in the end, it costs the cogenitor its life. And very serious repercussions for actions, which of course on Tripp's part were all done with good intentions. 
It's an interesting episode dealing with a first contact scenario. And it all centers around, of course, the Vician reproductive process. So, Daniel, we've been talking to Matthew here the whole time in the feature. So you go ahead and jump in and give us your thoughts here on what I call Three's Company, because I'm actually watching that show again for the first time in a while right now. And it's Three's Company, Vician style, trigendered species. They need a third person in order to have a baby. Yeah, you know, there's. I have a lot of conflicting feelings about this. Um, like, you know, I'm no biologist, but this seems kind of like naturally really ridiculous that 3% of your population is required for all of your reproduction because, you know, it's nice now that we have a society that would facilitate that kind of interaction between peoples. But, you know, a, a thousand years ago, I mean, like whatever, a hundred thousand years ago, it seems like it would be really difficult to... Um, for that to be a thing and, and the species to be viable and continue on. I, I'll, I'll give the writers, you know, the benefit of the doubt and just say, okay, whatever. 3% of the people have to be essentially sex slaves. They, they have to be breeding stock, essentially, and um, moved from place to place. And uh, I, I, it's, it's an interesting concept um, to me, I think it's really fascinating, but it's very shallow in a lot of ways. It, it doesn't feel like the writers kind of planned out how this might, how this society would function. Like you're telling me this is literally the first cogenitor that has ever thought, hey, I would like to climb a mountain or I would like to read a book or I would like to do these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And it, it's great as an as a piece to look at gender roles and uh and sexuality and all of this, but uh, sometimes it falls a little bit flat, a little heavy-handed, I would say. What do you think, Matthew? You know, I, I hadn't even thought about that idea. And part of this is that reading the novels uh, and the Andorians being a, a four-sexed uh, people, yeah. four-gendered people, and, and needing four to reproduce, um, it wasn't surprising to me that, that Enterprise picked up that idea, actually, and just you know put it to three. Well, actually, let me ask you a question, Matthew, before we go on, because I was thinking about that too. And in this episode, you would think that if the Andorians were four gendered at this point, it would have been mentioned in the episode, like when Flox says that it's not uncommon to have another gender, because we have Andorians in Enterprise, especially here at the end of the second season. So in the literary universe on the timeline, the four different genders with the Andorians did that come after Enterprise's run, or was it before? Well, it came after in the sense that we learned about it first with Deep Space Nine. That's what I mean. That in the DS Nine relaunch, right? We, if we you, about it. yeah, but if you look at the Enterprise books that have been done since the end of Enterprise, they okay. actually retroactively kind of go in okay. and and call, you know. Um, Shran a certain type of Andorian, one of the right. one of the four sexes, and so they worked that kind of back in. But when they were writing Cogenitor, they weren't picking that up and making it three because that idea didn't exist yet, right? In terms uh, of material that we have. okay, that's just what it, I wanted to yeah, at least mm-hmm. yeah, it, or at least that the writers were paying attention to with what was in the novels in the first place, not that they're any any way beholden to that. So right, right. Um, but it is it is a. To me, it is a kind of a strange thing. And, I, and I, again, I'm with Daniel in the sense that 
the thought that this is the first cogenitor ever to have a, a thought process beyond anything else is a little strange because we do learn from flocks that the cogenitor is is actually on the same level mentally mm -hmm. as the, the the rest of the Visians, and so it seems kind of odd to me that they would be so subservient. I mean, they're not mistreated; they're just barely treated in the first place. Um, but that doesn't mean that it, it doesn't seem like that thought process, that evolutionary idea that they that we move forward, that everything moves forward, or it, or it dies. Um, that that wouldn't come into play with with this cogenitor yeah. part of the species. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a good point. And also going back to what you said, Daniel, with the fact that they're maybe treated like sex slaves, it's never established what their actual role is in the fertilization process and the reproductive process. But what Dr. Flox suggested was that they just supply an enzyme so I didn't take it as them actually having sex with the cogenitor. There's just something during the process where the cogenitor has to be present. So it's it's not like they're being abused. So it's like taken a sexual aura of. they just put out, like the force. Well, I I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm trying to picture like. Maybe I shouldn't say I'm trying to picture. I'm trying to imagine <laughs> <laughs> the process of how that would work. But but the suggestion is not really that the cogenitor is going to carry the child or anything like that. There's just something that they have to supply to the process that's necessary for actual fertilization. I, I think what you've both said, which is very true here, is that while I think this is a very good episode for its message, it's also a weak episode in that the elements that create and support the message are not fleshed out. Uh, like I'm thinking, and we'll talk about it a little bit later, the language elements in here. You have to just completely throw out any concern about how these language elements would actually work and just focus on the very high level. You're teaching someone to read. They can learn quickly and then you get through it. And I think with the the trigendered a bit here too. It's sort of like that. It's like, don't worry about how it actually works. All you need to know is that there's this third gender that's necessary for the process and they're being held down probably intentionally because you would have to think that the Visians know that mentally they're on the same level and they know that if they ever start wanting more out of life, it could it could mean the extinction of the species. Well, it's what we see with the Andorians, Matthew, actually. It's what we see with Char in the DS9 novels, that Char wants something more than the, the traditional Andorian uh, mating and reproduction, and that threatens his bondmates, right? And threatens well, and the yeah, for... Race. For him, what he wants is is to be able to find an answer to the problem. You know, not just keep sure, being part sure. of what he but, sees as not being the solution, which is to just propagate what we always did, right. even though it's completely failing us. And in a, you know, maybe a hundred years, the Andorian yeah. race would be gone. You do kind of run into that same problem here because if the cogenitors did have an awakening. 
Right. And they they might see themselves as is is not wanting to be part of this, but it does make me wonder how do cogenitors do we find that out in the episode like are they did they are they something that's born they they never explain it that's why See, that's a, yeah that's that another thing the elements that, required yeah. for the story to work are not actually explained you it's really kind of just left up to you to imagine the details of it in a way it just it feels like lazy writing like um I agree. I agree with what you said, Chris. That it's the message of the of the uh, the episode is interesting and worth exploring, but the the framework that it's built around feels completely shallow. Like there's, mm-hmm. you know, well, Doctor Flox is like maybe it's this and maybe it's that, and these things don't even have names. And wait a minute, we we give Porthos a name, like, right. and these people are supposed to be crazy advanced, like they have to be empathetic at some. They seem to be very empathetic at some level, like. Why would they not, at least in some respect, incorporate these other? They're very intelligent beings, and and then we're being told that there's a section of their society that literally sits inside of a room all day and does nothing and doesn't think of ways to escape or or better themselves or or become more that they are. And and it's just like it's like, well, okay. I mean, I get what you're saying. I see what you're doing, but it's just. You could have put a little, a little more effort into it, and and kind of made something really, really amazing out mm-hmm. of it. Well, and it 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 speaks to the fact that the Visians, you know, if they're supposed to be this really advanced society, you know, advanced society are supposed to take care of the weakest among us and and the most needy among us. You know, that's that should be one of the hallmarks of of an advanced society that we take care of those uh, first. Um, and their disregard for the cogenitor as any kind of person or personhood, it, it strikes me as very strange and odd in the same way that we would bristle at somebody saying that Data is not a person, mm-hmm. even though Data is in some ways almost less of a person than the cogenitor because the cogenitor has all the abilities to make it you know, a feeling, a caring uh, con- contributing individual on every single level is what we understand to to be to create personhood. Um, you know, whereas Data has some deficiencies in that because he doesn't have you know feelings, which is a big part of, of what we consider personhood. So yeah, yeah. it's a, it's just a very interesting thing. And I, Daniel just destroyed this episode for me. Like, <laughs> because I'd never really thought about this part because I always just think about the actual message and the interesting uh, clash right. of civilizations part. Well, I think that, I think that's what they were going for, that the episode is just about how do you react to a culture that's different from yours? When do you apply your own values to what you're seeing when do you try to get involved? When do you step back and say, I understand that not everyone does the same thing that I do in my culture. And that's what it's really about. And so they did create just a basic framework upon which they can tell this story. And the story isn't really about the Visian's reproductive process. It's not really about any of that. And so therefore they don't give us the details. And but the way I see, yes, they're an advanced society. I think that what's happened is that their scientists, they haven't been able to find a way to 
create the enzyme that's needed for reproduction. That for some reason, nature has selected for this system where you have male and female, and then you have this third gender, and only 3% of the population is made up of this third gender. But that 3% is absolutely critical to the reproduction of the species. And without that 3%, they will die within a generation. And so the society has decided that they have to hold these cogenitors back. They have to hold them down. They have to make sure that the only thing that they want out of life is to provide this enzyme, if Flux is correct. And they know that if they educate these people, they will do what this cogenitor did in the episode, and they'll want to live their own lives. And then the society will fall apart. And so it's for the greater good of the society. They've decided they just have to hold down this 3%. Well, and I think to me that that also hurts the rest of the message of the episode because even though it's about different cultures and and trying to come to a point of understanding and saying one's not better than the other, Mm -hmm. I I, I still don't, I don't know how, um, I I, I don't know how to get past that because even what, what we think of as 21st century, you know, thinking on uh, how we should treat others and the respect that they're due, whether they're different from us or not, uh, it doesn't even it, it there's it doesn't coincide here, you know. So I I it's hard for me not to think of 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 Trip as like a hero in the episode when that's not what the episode is going for, unfortunately. And so because so because of the way they in the episode because of the way that they've set up this thing where these people are willfully you know enslaving a part of their society. Yeah, I, I don't know. I I read the episode very differently in terms of if that's the point of the episode. Uh, I'll explain my position in a minute. But what about you, Daniel? Well, I, you know, it's just interesting. Like we're talking about these this race of advanced beings, and what's terrifying, Chris, your your suggestion of if their scientists came up with a way to synthesize this enzyme, uh, we're led to believe essentially that these people would be <laughs> abandoned and left out and Possibly. disregarded completely. Yeah. This entire element of society, which would which would which would be cast out and 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 left to their own devices, and of course they wouldn't be able to do anything on their own. And that's why I just it feels disingenuous because like you meet the captain and we we spend a fair a fair good amount of time with the captain. Seems like a really a decent person, and they, you know the the episode goes to lengths to say, "Wow, this is great! This is the best first contact we've ever had, and this is fantastic, and this guy's so awesome." And and even the even the the couple, the the engineer and his wife, uh, were led to believe that they're good people, that they're just you know they're in their culture and they're in their society, but to think that they would just kind of disregard an entire. I mean, even though it's only 3%, which granted is a very small percent of their society, but you would think that these people are smart enough to know, hey, first of all, the, 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 the 97% are smart enough to say, hey, we should probably treat these guys with at least an ounce of respect and give them names. And then to think that the 3% who, who we're told are biologically no less intelligent could maybe at some point figure something out and be like, well, they can't do anything without us. So we kind of deserve to be treated a little bit better than this. Mm-hmm. It could be. I, I think in reality what would happen if they could synthesize this enzyme uh, 
is that you would see a portion of the population abandon them, like you describe. I think that would certainly happen. But then another portion would say that we should start educating these people so they can become part of society. And then there would be a tug of war about, you know, which way it goes. But I I think the fact that they don't give them names is part of this defense mechanism to make sure that they don't stray from this role that they have because of the damage that it would do to the society if they did. And they, well, I mean, they were it, able to reproduce. You you give something a name and you start to feel for it. I mean, mm-hmm. like right. Daniel said, you give Porthos a name and you anthropomorphize him and into all of these things as humans do because we care about those less fortunate or we even care about our animals. Mm-hmm. Well, Matthew, um, doesn't your iPhone have a name? Yeah, actually it does. Um, and so uh, I really do care about Lucy. Um <laughs> But I, I think, you know, we were talking about this with Kirsten um, in the, the Voyager relaunch novels on, on literary treks and the idea of changing the names of something or giving it something generic as a name. Like here they've given it the name Cogenitor because it becomes scientific and it, it's easy to run roughshod right over that thing because it, it's it's not a real person. It's not a real thing. It's just a prop that we use and we've taken away all of its personhood. And I think that's again, where I think it's so damaging the storyline because they are going for something different. They want you to come across on Archer's side where he can be mad at trip, but I have a really hard time being Archer being mad at trip because to me, I don't, I don't see how any advanced society can, can treat a, you know, even if you don't agree with them, you know, just, treat a part of their society like this in the same way that like we have tolerance for those that are different than us I you know we, we're we're gonna just think of if we still treated you know people of a different race like this mm-hmm. you know I it it's it's very difficult for me to to really get to the point of the message that they're trying to go for with the episode when I the what they've set up doesn't really lead me there as I'm watching it well, see, I feel that the point of this episode isn't whether it's right or wrong what the Visians are doing. It's whether when confronted with something completely new and something that goes against your own instincts, can you accept that and can you control your own actions and understand that just because another culture does something differently even if it seems completely wrong to you, should you understand that that's how their culture operates and then your culture operates differently and keep yourself separated from that, especially when you're an explorer, which is what we're seeing here in Enterprise, or are you unable to do that and and cross that line? And if if we talk about the two different, the, the two key first contact situations that we have in here. So we have Archer and Drenik, the Vissian captain. And then we have Trip and the nameless Vissian engineer, his wife Kala, and the cogenitor. These two groups are the main two first contacts that we see here. And I think that they set it up very nicely in the writing that you've got Archer and Drenik who get along really well because 
they're not, they're both interested in learning more about each other's culture, and they're both interested in learning more scientifically about this star. And they're not getting too much into the details of individual beliefs. It's like me, if I talk to someone, I can talk to someone about Star Trek or whatever subject that we're both interested in and get along great, like Archer and Drenick get along in this episode. Whereas I may be on the exact opposite side of the political spectrum from that person. And as long as we're not delving into that, maybe we're getting along really well. But then Tripp sees something that's more of this sort of ethical thing from his view of how they're treating the cogenitor. And he cannot separate himself from that at all. He is taking a purely human perspective on what he's seeing. And then he takes actions on that in the way that he would, like Archer says at the end of the episode, if they were in Florida or in Singapore. He's he's forgetting that he's dealing with a very alien culture, not a human culture. And, you know, it's, and that's exactly the point of the episode. And I think uh, there, are very, there are two scenes that point this out precisely. There's the scene where T'Pol is dressing down Trip when she finds out what he's doing. And she says, the, the morals of the situation have nothing to do. It doesn't matter. It's totally irrelevant. It does what you think and how you feel is not the issue at hand. And then, and then, of course, the scene when um, the the cogenitor requests asylum, and the, the engineer stands up at the at the desk and he says, uh, you, you, "It's easy to judge someone when you don't understand them, when you don't understand mm-hmm. their culture." And in I, it's uh, you know I cannot disagree with you more, Matthew. Like Trip comes across as uh, I guess you would call him a Terran uh, fundamentalist in this episode mm-hmm. that he cannot like. I don't know if I'd go like, that he, far, but yeah. Well, well, I mean, I, in in the fact that he can't let go, he he can't, and like that seems to be the entire point of the episode. I think that is I, the I, point I, of the I, episode. I, yeah. Right, right, and it's just like he he every every interaction he has with the human crew or the with the Enterprise crew, I should say. Um, in this episode, every single one, you can tell they're all like, ooh, I see where you're going and you should probably not do what you're thinking about doing. Like mm-hmm. Flox is like, yeah, you could scan her, but why would you do that? And to Paul's like, well, yeah, I see, but okay. Like everybody is trying to like, listen, just let things be how things are and and explore this culture and try to understand them. But you know, jumping in to, to change, to fundamentally change, essentially, you can't change a culture anymore at a, any more base of a level than their, their reproduction. Right. And, and, you know, and, and that's why, you know, at the end, when, when Archer is reaming him out, it makes a lot of sense. It's like, no, you just, you can't just do that. You can't just go in and tell people, Hey, by the way, um, the reason you exist is totally wrong and you can't do this anymore. This is crazy and whatever. So in, in, to, to me, it's just, I, I don't look at him as a bad guy in this episode. No, I think he no. has the greatest of intentions yeah. and, uh, but you know, it's just, it's, it's his, is he's blinded by his emotions. I think, I guess in this episode. Well, I think, I, I mean, I'm not just, dis- I don't disagree with either of you because i think that's what it is what the episode is about and um i guess uh i i i can understand the the where trip is coming from because trip is is definitely somebody i think who believes in 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 a more universal right and wrong 
and and that's where he's coming from. And I think even if he asked Archer, Archer would consider what the Visian's doing completely wrong, morally wrong, mm-hmm. ethically wrong on on all scales. I think if you even asked to Paul, she probably would say the same thing, because as we were talking about earlier, the idea that an advanced society would actually treat a, a person like this is kind of reprehensible to anybody who has any kind of you know moral code or you know uh, any of those kind of things. So. I'm not disagreeing with you, and I completely think that's the case. I guess I, I come down just. It, it would be hard for me, like it is for Trip, to 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 deal with that and see that and not want to do mm-hmm. something. Obviously, it, it's not your place to play God for them, and it's it's kind of the difference of uh, the original series with all of the other series that come after it. Is the original series Kirk will play God. And, yeah. and whereas the rest of Star Trek won't do that, you know, because as advanced as, as TOS was, it still comes from a much more black and white type of, of looking at things and that we well, know we're what's right. the wrongs, right? Everything exactly. that we perceived as a wrong, we're going to write that. Yeah. Right. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I just, it is a, I think that that tension is though, is probably as well what the writers were going for, they wanted you to feel that tension because you were going to be on Tripp's side and you were going to be on Archer's side and you were going to, I think, understand both of them and where they're coming from. Yeah, I, and, and I, so. I think on the surface level when you're watching the episode, you're on Tripp's side, right? Because you are perceiving that this is wrong to be holding this person down and he's educating her and that's great. And that's where the power of the ending comes in when you find out that She's killed herself because she saw her potential but knew that she would never be allowed to pursue that. But Matthew, you said that what they're doing is just reprehensible you know, to any culture that has any kind of moral or, or ethics. But I would say that that's our perception of it. You know, we're that's how we feel about it because that's how our society is. And it's very natural that we would feel that way. You know, I mean, I completely understand Tripp's actions, and I think that any of us in the same situation would be very inclined to help this cogenitor the way that Tripp did. That's our natural instinct. But it's still, that's how we perceive it. That's not necessarily how another culture might perceive it. It's just how we personally do, because that's how our culture operates. Well, and that is a big, I mean because of who we both are, that is the big difference between us because I, I, I really do believe that there is a, an absolute right and there's an absolute wrong. And, mm-hmm. and that's a very, that is a huge difference in, in why we look at the episode differently. Sure. Um, and um, at the same time, you know, I, I do agree with Archer that it isn't the Federation's place or, or at this point it's not Federation, it's just Starfleet and the, these humans it isn't their place to tell them what's wrong. Um, maybe it's it's just their place to be a good representation of what we think is right, um, and and uh, represent our what we believe our values to be well. And Trip doesn't do that in the right way in the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I again, it, what he does is 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 he's doing it for the right reasons, but he's just doing it the wrong way. 
Um, mm-hmm. And uh, that's a hard thing to see it's for, for anyone. And I mean, if you look at both Phlox's and Topal's attitude in this episode, you know, they're, they are, it, maybe it is a human thing or, or whatever, but both of them who are the most uh, experienced and well-traveled and, and, and have, you know, they have all of these times where they've interacted with other cultures. They're the ones that are like, whoa, you know, relax, chill out. Like it's just, there are, you're going to come across people who do things that you disagree with and that's okay. Like it's totally okay. It's not your place to like, you know, I agree with you, Matthew, that, that I think ultimately, you know, Archer was like, no, I don't think you give these people names, let them go to school, let them, you know, do what they want to do. I think everybody on that ship, including to Paul and, and uh, flocks would say those things. But, but when you, when, when, you know, the, the rubber hits the road, so to speak, you don't go in and try to change it single handedly, especially in that kind of crazy situation that they were in where it was first contact situation. It's not like you just, you sneak around. Yeah, they've and, only known these people for a couple of days at the most at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So there's no possible way he would have any context with which to, to do what he does. And so it is, it does seem like it's, um, the episode does seem geared to, to me, like you're like like Chris said, like when you're watching it, you're like, oh, this is terrible. They should never do it. But once you're thinking about it, you're like, well, okay, well, we don't really know. We don't really know what's going on. And and yeah, well, and and, and I'm not saying that what they're doing is right in any way. Right. I'm I'm just saying that. Well, like you said, I know we don't have enough information. A and B, it's another culture, and you can't just charge in and impose your own values on it. Actually, Matthew, on the other side of the room... The other side of the room. You were telling me about a review that someone had done of this episode. And I found it really interesting because with my own experience with having to assimilate into cultures, I really kind of disagreed with that. But I think it's interesting to share it. So can you tell the listeners what that person said in the review? Yeah, the the... the the basis of the review was that, you know, it, as explorers on either side, the Visians and, and uh, Starfleet here, they're willingly putting themselves in a place where their ideas are going to be confronted. You know, the, any first contact situation, your values and their values, who you are and who they are, are going to come colliding with each other. And, and, and neither of you is going to leave unscathed in that, in the sense that your understanding of the universe, your understanding of, of, of just about everything is, is going to be altered in some way. And that that's, that's one of the things that happens in this episode and that we really see is that, um, and we see it more blatantly, obviously, with Trip because of what he does. But at the same time, even if Trip doesn't take that action, his ideas are 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 going to be changed and maybe their ideas might be changed um, uh, about how we deal with people and, and all of those kind of things, especially if Trip had approached this uh, in a completely different way, especially with the engineer in, in talking about the idea of personhood with him and, and those kind of things and kind of getting into those maybe some philosophical ideas and you bounce those ideas back and forth. And again, each of you would come away different you know it, it, at least with an understanding uh, of 
where somebody else was coming from and, and, and it might have an impact on how you thought down the road. Um, and so I just thought that was an interesting idea that how first contacts work and how each of these civilizations kind of have an impact on each other, especially with the way the Vulcans have had an influence on Earth sure. and, and but, vice but versa. But you were describing something else. You were describing that it's like when two cultures come together, it's always like a violent clash of ideas or it's well, a violent I, conflict i i meant the, yeah when i was saying it there i, I just meant the the violent clash is that they are literally just smacking into each other head right, on that's what you I'm know about, yeah. you know um because you know you're you're meeting each other for the first time and you could be complete opposite spectrums of mm -hmm. of you know what you think about the universe and all that kind of stuff and those ideas really do come to it to hit each other not necessarily yeah. that people come to blows, sure, obviously, sure, but, but just that the ideas themselves kind of like like two waves coming together. It sounded like the, the person who reviewed this was using that as a justification for Tripp's actions. And I just, I think that's very wrong. You know, I, I'm American. I grew up in America, but I've lived in Russia. I live in Japan now. I've lived here for a very long time. And I've had to come face to face with very different ways of doing things in other cultures. And I, I think that perhaps that if you have groups of people like the Europeans coming to North America, for example, and you have large groups of people coming into contact, you might have those types of clashes. But what we see in this story, these are individuals. This is Trip meeting two Visians and one cogenitor. And when you deal with another culture, when you come in contact with another culture, you should be able as an individual to control your own views and your own actions. And for me, while I understand how Trip felt, for me as someone who has lived in foreign cultures and has been faced time and time and time again with situations, not to this extreme that there's, you know, a third gender being held down, but just where things are done really differently than what you've known your whole life. You just can't do what Tripp did. To me, I cannot excuse Tripp's actions, no matter how noble they were, because he's a representative of his culture, and you just cannot do that. It's, it's on you to be able to control your own views and not to impose your will on the other culture. Well, and I, yeah, and I don't think that was the point of, of what I was trying to say. I just thought mm -hmm. it was, uh, and even the, the, the review that I read, I think it was the idea of just kind of thinking about how first contacts put you in a position to, to have your, your ideas changed you know mm -hmm. you're you're willingly putting yourself out there to to yeah. be challenged you right, know right. um and and so i thought that that was a really cool idea uh, and, it, and it's seen in this episode uh in that sense but on the other side obviously you know again i i'm not saying trip handled this correctly no i get that uh, I, I at know, all I get that. So. but but the episode tugs you in different directions as a viewer right Depending on how you oh, yeah. feel, you may feel that Trip did the right thing and that Archer was wrong by dressing him down at the end. Or you may feel that, like I do, that Trip was completely wrong because the actions that Trip took could potentially, and maybe still could, 
But certainly, if the cogenitor had not committed suicide and had gone back to Vicia and then spread those ideas to other cogenitors, could literally result in the annihilation of the Vician race. And, and that's what it comes down to. He is, he is making a political and a societal judgment on an entire group of people. And this is what, uh, what Archer tells him at the end of the episode. You have no idea. You have absolutely no idea of what the consequences of your actions mm-hmm. could be. This, this, you could have, you could have literally flipped this society upside down, and and you, ha- you are in no position to do these kinds of things. It's like, you know, in in say, you know, when we learn about the Ferengi and their their, you know, <laughs> and how they treat women, mm-hmm. and, and, but we don't see. Generally speaking, it's not specifically one person, one Federation person who goes in and says, "No, no, you should, you should let your women wear, you know, wear clothes and and and." conduct business it's it's okay your society does this this is a very you know and of course we have to learn to get to that so maybe that's what kind of this episode well, that is, is about. kind of maybe what it's about is. yeah how do you learn to get to that sure so yeah. and that's then that's totally okay i have no problem well i that, think but. that's why they well, contrast archer and troop so much in this episode whereas archer is looking for the ways that they can cooperate and the ways they can learn from each other and trip is just seeing how he can write something he perceives as wrong in their culture. Well, and it's the, I think too, the the difference of, okay, these people might be like trading partners, the way the Ferengi mm-hmm. are with, with the Federation later on down the road. But the, but the Ferengi would never be a part of, of the Federation until their values kind of mirrored Federation values, because there are certain values and treatments of individuals mm-hmm. in your cultural that in your culture that have to be the same Mm-hmm. For you to be able to be a federation member, mm-hmm. you know, so uh, you, at, at that standpoint, you know, we might we might cooperate with you or trade with you or any of those kind of things, but we're not going to let you into our club, sure, because yeah, you I know. Agree. So yeah, in, in the same no way, way that, that Vizio would, would right, get into exactly. The so with you know, situation, it, I think. right, and so that that was that was the other thing that I, I had thought of in my my head as I was watching the episode as well. You know, the, this is somebody who would be a culture that that Starfleet would, would maybe trade with, you know. Um, but later on down the line, if, if it, this process hadn't changed and, and the way they treat their progenitors hadn't changed in their society, you know, they wouldn't be somebody that would be available for, you know, Federation membership down the line. But I do think at that point, if they had that relationship... Again, they've only known these people for a few days here, which is another reason why it makes it so wrong for Tripp to do what he did. If they've been working together for years or decades or centuries, at that point, the Vissians may even be open to Federation scientists coming in and trying to find a way to synthesize this enzyme so that they no longer needed the cogenitors for this process in the first place. Well, and what I was saying earlier is that's where you have the ability of of being just, I hate to put it this way, but being a good witness, mm-hmm. you know, um, and you have the ability to maybe change a society just by working with them. Um, right. And, and ha- again, having your, you know, exactly, that's yeah. not what he does, but that's what could have happened sure. if, if it had handled correctly. Sure. And that it could have affected, you know, positive change on them in a, in a way that we would, you know, want to cheer for at the end instead of 
you know, having the the very sad situation of the cogenitor, you know, killing themselves. Yeah. Well, it's them kind of emotions, leaving off, right? If Trip could yeah. keep his emotions in check, then he might be able over time to help the cogenitors through that relationship. And somebody mentioned, uh, and I actually thought about this too during the episode. Somebody mentioned Kirk, and like I thought about this, like what would Kirk do? Because it was clear Kirk not. not Basically, Trip is Kirk in this episode without the authority and without the ability to kind well, of Daniel, push his agenda. Kirk would forward. have gone to Visia. He would have found the building where all the cogenitors live. He would have destroyed the building, handed out books to everyone, and then told the Visians, you're on your own now. I hope you're up to it. <laughs> or maybe he just would have cured them, you know, with his 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 Shatneris, yeah. his Kirkness, you know, like he would have been able to cure them. But go on, Daniel, with what you were saying. <laughs> <That's fine. laughs> oh, uh, uh, you know, maybe he would have, you know, he would, ah, well, that's okay. Yeah. Um, no, but it was, what I'm saying is like, this is actually, just thinking about it, it's kind of an interesting contrast. Like Archer, Archer is the kind of Picard way of thinking. Yeah. And yeah. Trip is kind of the Kirk way of thinking. And it's a really interesting, you know, conversation to have. Like, it is interesting. And and obviously, clearly, the Federation hadn't exactly learned their stuff by the time Kirk was in the chair. But Well, Daniel, be- being a TNG guy from our TNG show Earl Grey, I was thinking that I agree with you that Archer is a lot like Picard in this situation with his approach to it. But I felt that I could see Riker doing what Tripp did to some extent. You know, Riker well, tends to be more <laughs> upset about things like this and more willing to take action. This episode has all sorts of echoes of the outcast. Yeah, it does. And, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. To me, yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I, that was something else I thought of in, in the same way that I was like, what would Kirk do? I was like, wait, Riker might might very well do the same right. kind of thing I that Kirk so. did. Yeah. So I, I totally, I actually totally see that. Yeah. That's That's totally true. Well, there's one lighthearted thing in here that I did want to talk about. I mentioned up front that I was going to mention three first contact situations. And I also mentioned that Reed spent part of the episode trying to get laid. And I wanted to talk about these sensual cheese eating (laughs) habits of one Malcolm Reed. Because, (laughs) you know, I mean, I like cheese, but I never eat it quite in the same way that, that Malcolm does. And there are so many lines in here as well. (laughs) Like, I'm anxious to see your tactical array. (laughs) The worst one, the worst one in the whole episode. This is actually probably one of the top 10 most groan-worthy lines in all of Star Trek is, there's an old Earth expression. I'll show you yours if you show me. Oh my but God. I got the I feeling that right it. after he said it, he was like, I can't believe I said that. <laughs> and you know what, though? She's an alien, and it worked on her. It did. did My favorite. Well, even from the beginning of the episode, when they're sitting at the table, and there are the the, the two Vissian women there, and Reed walks up, and I could just see Joey walking up and going like, how you doing? (laughs) I I put in my notes, Reed is really excited to see alien women. I like like the contrast that the... It is obviously meant to be a little bit lighter, obviously, mm-hmm. than the rest of the subject matter. But I actually do. I think Reed is doing what uh, Trip is refusing to do. He's just kind of going with it. He's just, yeah. hey, 
Let's I, I'm going to explore, you know, quote unquote, whatever. Uh, you know, He's going to explore, explore, Daniel. <laughs> He's already had the invitation <laughs> extended to explore tonight. And if it goes well, then maybe dinner after. Then perhaps dinner after. And I like that. I like I like that they were like, hey, this is a guy who, you know, it doesn't have a stick up his butt. You know, he, he's just going to go with it and it's totally okay. And uh, I, I actually, I, I like that. I think that was a good, a smart move, even though it feels kind of like a, well, okay. <laughs> it feels kind of like a, uh, it's such a small part of the episode. It feels kind of like an afterthought or yeah. like a filler yeah, yeah. for the rest of the episode. Cause we don't get any resolution from it. Like he doesn't learn anything from it. Right. I assume like that. that they actually did sleep together. Because oh, yeah, me too. Yeah. that was the plan and we just don't, you know, find out for sure. But the language thing too, that's one other thing I wanted to touch on here before we wrap up. When you're first watching through, that whole scene with Archer and Drenick in the little shuttle ship that they're using to fly around the star, where they start talking about the literature, it seems kind of silly, right? Like the idea that these aliens not only learned our language in the matter of one day, but they've also been through and read the great literature of Earth in one day. And this alien is quoting literature. And then when you get to the scene where Tripp is in the cogenitor's quarters and she's learned to read, then I think back like, well, the scene with Archer and Drenik is necessary because they have to establish up front that the Visians can A, learn a language extremely rapidly and that they can read very, very quickly. Otherwise, it makes no sense that the cogenitor would already be able to read this book to Trip, And Trip would be explaining later to, to Paul about how much the cogenitor has already read. So you kind of need that scene there, but still... The cogenitor is reading the pad, and the text on the pad is in Visian script. But she's reading the story to Trip in English. Now, of course, it has to be English for us. Although at the same time, Enterprise doesn't shy away from having extended dialogue in alien languages with no translation. So then I took it as she's not exactly reading it to him. She's just telling him what the book says in Visian, but she's telling him in English. But that would still mean that she has to learn to read uh, Visian really quickly and then translate into English really quickly. And so I think that just like the reproductive elements of this episode aren't fleshed out really at all, even the language elements, if you really stop and think about what's going on, it makes no sense at all what's happening with the language and the reading in, in the story. So you have to, again, just throw all of that out and look at only the very high level. What's happening? Trip is teaching an illiterate person to read so that they can have a better life, even though in that culture they're not allowed to do that. And therefore, he is fundamentally changing the nature of at least that person's life and, and the entire culture, if you extrapolate behind that. I agree. Like I agree, it's 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 something that you just kind of have to go with um, in order for the episode to make sense. Um, I just I wish I wish you didn't have to. I wish that it that it just na- you know that it just naturally made sense. The 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 reading in a day. Okay, fine. These guys are really smart. I can I'll buy that. That's not a problem. But 
could they really appreciate Shakespeare if they didn't read it in the original Klingon? <laughs> That's a good point, yeah. And at this point, of course, humans don't have access to the original Shakespeare. And let's not even ask how it got translated into English at a time before we even knew the Klingons. <laughs> exactly, I think exactly. Guinan's responsible, personally. She was around. She was around, it's definitely yeah. possible. That's why yeah. I think she's responsible. Her and Colonel yeah. Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> Naturally. Uh, you know, I, I think that um, one of the things that, that, I mean, of all the things we picked apart in this episode, I think a lot of people kind of picked apart the idea that in the end, Trip really doesn't seem to have a lot of repercussions, you know, down the line. Down the line, yeah, maybe. Yeah, But I, I do think that the idea here was Archer understands, I think, that Trip has learned his lesson, that the the guilt that he's going to deal with of knowing that he was culpable in this cogenitor's death is enough and that his dressing down and, and making trip have to think about this is enough as well he knows his officer he he knows this man really really well and it, it, correct me if i'm wrong i don't remember trip doing this kind of thing again and the rest of the, I mean obviously this is at the end of season two and then we get into season three and it's a completely different show sure. really um, but I really don't see Trip try to do any of these things again right um, I don't think he would do I, it again I, either so it was a learning experience for right me. exactly so that the the, the management style and, and the way that Archer captains here he understands his crew and what they need and realizes you know I don't have to punish Trip Trip's already going to punish himself, and he's never going to forget this lesson. Right. Janeway would have put it. him in the brig for 30 days. Probably. <laughs> um, so I, I thought that that was a a really strong part of the episode, actually. It was the end. Yeah. And then if you watch through Enterprise, you don't really see Trip doing in these kinds of things again. And um, it, it there's that nice continuity there with with the series itself of the way that these characters are growing. And, and sometimes it takes more and sometimes it takes less. And with Trip, I think he was a character who, he, he needed to learn a few things the hard way as compared to some of the other characters on the show. And, and once he did, uh, he, he was completely different. And this wasn't of out of the show. blue for his character either. We saw him no, not at all. broken <laughs> bow, you know, when the, the alien woman was trying to wean her child so that they could breathe you know, this is the reaction that he has to things. Well, and I think what is great about the show, and, and you and Norm talked about this on, on Warp 5, and the way that, you know, Hoshi responded to things, the way that Travis responds to things, the way that all of these Starfleet people respond to things is a little bit different. And it gives us a little bit different picture of humanity and how those different types of people that are more like us today respond and how they learn and grow mm -hmm. and i think it's actually what makes enterprise so strong as as a show because of the way they move all of these different people types forward more towards the the kind of starfleet officers that we do know later on and kind of you know create the icons that those starfleet officers would actually look up to because of all of the, the things that they had to learn and the way that these different personalities have to learn things. Personally, I just think it's a, it's a fantastic part of Enterprise. And, and so with all that we kind of picked apart with the episode here, 
it still creates a great character growth moment for the different characters on the mm-hmm. show. And I think it supports the whole point of the series, especially early on, that humans have to learn how to conduct themselves in the galaxy. And this also leads you towards the Prime Directive. This is one of those situations that helps move Starfleet along to realizing that they need to have some sort of rules about how you interact with the different cultures that you come in contact with. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and Trip, Trip, who who I've always, you know, who I kind of, I'm sure you know, many people consider like a proxy to, to, to us, to 21st century people, you're right. It is it it is like about the growing pains. It's about the what do we have to learn to become those people, and so you never blame Trip for for his for why he does what he does, but you just you learn with him, and you're yeah. like, okay, there are repercussions, and and something can something bad can really happen if if you don't put a lot of forethought into into your actions. Exactly. All right. Well, I think we pretty much went through final thoughts right there. So how about a rating for this episode? Matthew, what would you give this one? Wow. Um, even with all that we kind of talked about and picked apart with this episode, I, I still think it is a very strong episode. And so, um, and I think it, it creates tons of great conversation, obviously. <laughs> so I will give this episode um, eight out of 10 stinky, sexy cheeses. <laughs> how about you daniel yeah i just i feel like you know this episode i don't know i, I don't want to say that it's it's not like it just doesn't realize its potential it's it's it, it is a story that only enterprise could tell and that's wonderful and i just wish that they had fleshed it out a little bit more built a little bit more around it it could have been it really could have been like one of the greats one of the great episodes of enterprise and and as it stands it's just a good ep- enterprise episode which is not a bad thing but it's just it's just not where it should be but it's still good so i'm gonna give it like six and a half genders oh wow now that's a very unusual race right there don't judge them i want to know what a half gender is like <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to know <laughs> Well, I think that even though we can pick apart how the different aspects of the framework aren't fleshed out, and if you really stop and think about them, they don't make a lot of sense. I think that the episode is very, very strong because at the end of the day for me, the episode is simply that when confronted with a foreign culture, you have to be open-minded, you have to be understanding You have to remember that you are a representative of your own culture and you have to control your actions. And if you don't, there may be repercussions and you have to learn from that. And and no one's perfect and no one goes in knowing it all when they arrive in a foreign culture. But you learn as you go and hopefully you're wise enough not to do anything extreme like Trip did here without really thinking through the consequences. And I think it's clear at the end when he's stressed down by Archer that Tripp never really considered the consequences of what he was doing. And it only occurred to him when he found out that the cogenitor committed suicide. And I also think that the, the way the editing is done at the end of the episode really, really strengthens the message 
because there's not a lot of talk about Archer making his decision to send the cogenitor back. He just walks down the corridor with T'Pol. He goes in Tripp's quarters. There's nothing said there. We don't see the cogenitor being returned. We see the ships undocking. We find out there's a message. We don't get to hear the message. We don't see Archer talking to Drenick. Then we just cut to him dressing down Trip and telling him that the cogenitor committed suicide. So I thought the pacing and the editing at the end of the episode was really, really strong and really drove the message home. So I'm going to give this one nine impressive tactical arrays. I'll show you mine if you show me yours. <laughs> That's okay, Daniel. I'll pass. <laughs> <laughs> Good call. <laughs> All right. Well, Matthew, thanks for joining us today. Tell everyone, before you go, where they can find you around the network and around the interwebs. Well, of course, you can find me at MattRushing02 there on Twitter. You can also find me doing literary tracks where we talk about the books and comics of Star Trek there. Chris, we do that every week, as well as The Orb, where we talk about Deep Space Nine all the time. And, of course, you can also find me on the brand new show, The 602 Club, where we talk about everything geeky that doesn't have to do with Star Trek. So I hope you'll join me there. Awesome. And first two shows so far have been about Star Wars Rebels and Episode 7 and then Doctor Who. That's right. We've got plenty more goodness to to come. Uh, We've got some great shows in the can already just being edited. So just stay tuned. We've got a lot more good geekiness to come. Awesome. All right, Chris. Well, it was great. I mean, a, a bit of a smaller red room, just me, you, and, and Matthew, but it was good talking about Cogenitor, um, having an interesting conversation. You know, it's a, one of those episodes that it seems like maybe the, the the idea behind the episode is there's just more to it than the episode presents. So there's always something interesting to talk about. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. And like you said, it was a smaller ready room today, just the three of us, but, you know, we're on the NXO wine. And the ready room on that ship is a little bit cramped. Yeah, you've got that you got that bar, right? That kind of comes yeah. across and somebody has to dock, so. Right. And, pl- and plus, we had Porthos over here. Thankfully, he was very well behaved during the show today. He didn't make any noise. I think it was the cheese platter that was put out for him. Yeah, I guess very that, pungent. I guess that means he'll probably be making some noise later, though. Yeah, maybe so. But I'm glad that he was quiet during the show today. But Cogenitor isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network this past week. So here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. And then next week, it's like, hey, Worf, what's going on? He's like, oh, not much. Just, you know, walking around the bridge like like I didn't have my spine grown, uh, you know, last week. (laughs) Earl Grey. You know, he's on the Enterprise. He doesn't have to be written in the movie because, hey, he's on the Enterprise. Everyone's on the Enterprise. He gets you a know. chair. He gets a chair. Promotion. I mean, I mean, the whole beginning is all about his promotion. Yeah, exactly. It's basically a Warp-centered uh, movie now that I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> the Orb. Even Odo wasn't able to keep his, you know, quote-unquote, hands clean. The, the fact that he has this kind of sordid past that we didn't really know about until now is really, really interesting. To the journey! I think the audience by large, or by and large, kind of saw Data as a machine and was probably a little more on the side of Maddox, as in Data is it, not he, and that sort of a thing, without even realizing it. And then Measure of a Man took us from that point to, you know what? This guy has the right to choose. Warp 5. 
the TV viewer who doesn't know anything about that, they're probably more like the actual people of the Enterprise era, where the idea that we would have these starships that can take us into the depths of the galaxy at warp 5, this is all new for them as well. The Ready Room. Deep Space Nine is closer to the original series than any other Star Trek show in terms of ideals and, yeah, conflict. There is conflict in the original series. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. What's interesting, though, is this isn't even a threat. I mean, no, no, and let no. that be your last yeah. battlefield. It was a threat that Kirk was making in, in, in this episode. Picard's just like, yeah, we don't know who's taking our ship, and nobody's allowed to have our ship, so you know, let's blow it up. Commentary, Trek stars. Although there is a certain darker aspect to the story than, let's say, one would find in Roddenberry's version of humanity, there is also room for hope. Literary treks. I, I can see that Jean-Luc might have told her, you know, I was reading Janeway's logs, and can you believe that Q got married and has a son? Continuing mission. You're watching The Man Trap. And then for no reason at all, they go into the botany. Well, I want to call it the botany bay, even though I know that's not right. The botanical. <laughs> a, I think it's just botany room. The botany room. <laughs> and there's this person's hand in a pink glove as a space yep. plant. And you're just like, what? <laughs> Melodic treks. The latest Thompson Holiday Company advert in the United Kingdom features William Shatner's rendition of the Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody. Axonar, the official podcast. And as soon as I got back to L.A., um, I sat down and in about three or four days wrote this demo suite of uh, four cues. And, you know, thankfully, it resonated with Alec and, and Christian. And you know, here, here we are. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. You can find us everywhere you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user head on over and hit subscribe in iTunes or in the podcasts app. That way you'll get the show as soon as I publish it. And that also helps us out because subscriptions make a difference in how we place in search results. And that helps other Star Trek fans find the ready room as they're searching in iTunes. And while you're there, please leave us a star rating and a written review. I love to hear what you think about the show. And also that helps us rise up in the rankings as well. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered everywhere else. You can find us on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, blackberry windows phone soundcloud we're also in most all of the smaller podcast directories that you might find around as well and on our show page you can stream the show and you can download the mp3 file look in the soundcloud player on the show page and in the upper right corner you'll see the button to download the mp3 file plus you can grab the rss link and pop that into any third-party application that you like I'd also like to take a moment and thank our associate producer here on The Ready Room, Renee Roberts. You can find her on Twitter. Her username is Mares underscore 1701. Renee is a huge supporter of the network, does a wonderful job helping us keep things running here, and has been sort of my, what will I call her, like my Star Trek confidant and maybe even mentor, I would say, because she's given me a lot of advice over the years here on the Ready Room in the Network. So go follow Renee, and thanks so much, Renee, for your help here on the show and on the network. And another way that everyone can help us out besides leaving us those star rating and written reviews 
is to support the network through Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash trekafilm, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash trekafilm, you can become a supporter of Trekafilm and become part of the team. We have lots of perks for you there. We do digital items, of course, but we also have chances for you to sit in on the recording of shows, become a member of our content development group, become an associate producer on a show even, and just become part of everything that's going on here at Trek FM. I really hope everyone will become more involved in the network because we have so many great ideas and discussions that come up through you know the power of our listeners and, and all the ideas that everyone has. So check that out at patreon.com slash trekafilm, and we really thank you for supporting us there. Now, if you'd like to leave your feedback on the show today, we would love to know what you think about Cogenitor and... Daniel, I know you want to hear everyone's ideas on Star Trek clothing, right? Yeah, absolutely. I want to know how many people are on Team Wesley Crusher sweater and who are going to buy (laughs) this with me. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, the way you can let us know that, as I mentioned in the news, is to go to our website and send us email. There's a form at trek.film slash contact. Choose to send to a show and choose the ready room, and that'll come to me by mail. You can also join our listeners discussion group on Facebook, the Babel Conference, Just type the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website and click discussion up on the menu bar. Those will both take you right over there. It is a closed group. It is for you guys who listen to the shows. Just click join. I'll let you right on in. And we have hundreds of members there now having great discussions every single day. It's very, very active. And it's also a lot like the shows. You know, we don't always agree with each other. But we have nice, respectful discussions, and that's what I love about it. So check that out, and please join us over there. If you're in other areas of social media, you can find us on Twitter. Our username is TrekFM. We have a community on G+, as well. And also, you can send us a voicemail. I'd love to hear your voice. Go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm. That's the word speak and the word pipe together. Or look in the left sidebar on our show pages on the website and you'll see a little icon for that there as well. And all you need is the microphone on your webcam or your smartphone or your tablet. Record a message for me, upload it right there on the page as an MP3 file, and maybe I can even use that here on the show. All right, Daniel, when you're not finishing reading up on all the great literature of human history by tomorrow morning, where can people find you? Well, actually, uh, people can find me just recently on the most recent episode, just a little bit of a plug for the newest show on the network here on the 602 Club with Matthew. Um, we talked about DC. That was interesting. But more regularly that people can find me here on the network on Earl Grey, where we talk about the next generation each and every week. And we have a blast doing it with my co-hosts, Philip and Darren. Uh, and you can also find me on Twitter. Um, my handle there is one up Dan, and that is the number one, not the word. That's right. Great. Yes. Everyone check out, of course, Earl Grey and also the 602 Club. That's been really fun to hear you guys talking about different topics. And uh, so far, it's been a big hit. I I know that, especially in the Babel Conference, great feedback on the 602 Club. Well, if you'd like to find me and talk to me about Star Trek or Japan or whatever, college football, you can find me on Twitter. My username is C Brian Jones, the letter C and Brian with a Y. I'm also in the Babel Conference on Facebook all the time. So come join that group and we'll talk about Star Trek over there. 
And I have my own infrequently updated website, although I hope to eventually put more stuff on there at cbrianjones.com. And then elsewhere on the network, I'm on a lot of different shows. I'm on Warp 5, The Orb, Literary Treks, Matterstream, Continuing Mission, Hyper Channel, and I co-host the official podcast of Star Trek Axanar with Axanar creator and executive producer Alec Peters. So check that out and find out all the great things going on with that project. Before I let you go, I'd like to remind you about our sponsor for today's show, Audible.com. As a Trek of Film listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice just for trying Audible. Go to audibletrial.com slash trekafilm and sign up. Choose whatever book you like absolutely free. If you decide not to stick with Audible, you'll get to keep that book. There's nothing to lose. But if you love podcasts, you're going to love audiobooks. If you're getting your audiobooks from another source right now, Audible really is the best place to get them and my favorite place to get them. I've been getting mine there now for 15 years. Hard to believe you should see the number of books I have in my library. Quite huge, but it's a great place, and we really thank them for their support. Again, audibletrial.com slash is the URL. And don't forget about that Enterprise in Space design contest that I told you about in news. Go over to enterpriseinspace.org, read up about the project, watch the video, find out what we're looking for in the design contest, and send us your ideas for what the NSS Enterprise Orbiter should look like. Again, this is a project of the nonprofit National Space Society. We have an amazing team assembled to actually build the ship and put it into orbit. And it's going to be great for science, it's going to be great for education, and it's going to be great for Star Trek fans as well, as an Enterprise actually goes into orbit. And also, you can donate to the project while you're there. You can become a virtual crew member. There are many ways for you to support what we're doing. Again, that's at enterpriseinspace.org. All right, Daniel. Well, thanks again for joining me here and doing the whole show with me this week. I've got to wander off now. I'm going to go back down to the mess hall, do a little cheese tasting with Malcolm. All right, Chris. Well, it seems like it's time to stick an extra gender in it because the ready room is done. <laughs>